The Pickleball Show is brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news, and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free. This is Deb Harrison of PicklePongDeb.com. And here's the host of the Pickleball Show, Chris Allen. Thank you, Deb. And welcome to the show dedicated to helping you play better pickleball while having even more fun and meeting new friends who share your passion for this great sport. My name is Chris Allen, joining you today from Asheville, North Carolina, and we have been having fun all this month with our new format, a new webinar format for the Pickleball Show, where anyone from around the country or around the world can join in, listen live as we record, and ask questions, make comments, talk with our guests, also take part in quizzes and polls. And if you would like to do that and be part of our next recording, you can do so uh, by joining PBX Club. It's totally free. Just go to freepbxclub.com and you will be on the guest list. You'll get an invitation and you can sign up and join us and participate. You don't have to participate. You can just listen if you like. But if you uh, do want to ask questions and be part of the show, you can raise your hand and uh, I will unmute your microphone just like I'm doing right now with Cliff. Let's see if Cliff is here from Rhode Island. Hey, Cliff, are you there? Hello, I'm here. Hey, just wanted to thank you for uh, all the great input and questions and comments and everything that you've uh, helped us out with this month. You win the good parking space uh, in the, the virtual audience parking lot. You get the good parking space next month. That's great. Well, I've had a lot of time. I'm uh, recovering from Achilles tendon surgery, so I've had a lot of free time, so to speak. But there's a lot of between like your show and a lot of online and, and uh, watching Mark uh, and reading Prem's uh, book, uh, Smart Pickleball. Uh, you know, it takes up a lot of my time. It uh, fills in the gap, so to speak. Good point. And boy, <laughs> thank you for that uh, perfect lead-in to our guest today. We do have joining us from Collingwood, Ontario, Canada, thirdshotsports.com. We have Mr. Mark Renison, top coach and top player as well. Mark, thank you for being with us today again on the Pickleball Show. Alan, nice to be back. Grass Valley, California. We've got the pickleball guru, Prem Carnot, is with us. And Prem, welcome back. Thank you for joining us again here on the Pickleball Show. Good morning, Chris, and thank you for uh, having uh, me again. And uh, hi to Mark. Uh, really enjoyed here listening to you, Mark, and uh, always love to pick up good tips. Uh, thanks, Prem. We're going to talk coaching today, and also Linda Einsiedler is going to join us, uh, District USAPA Ambassador from Portland, Maine. Hey, Linda. Hi, Chris. Mark, hi, Prem. Hi, Linda. Hi, Linda. Linda, what kind of advice do you give to students when they come to you and they say, you know what, I just need some help, I need some lessons, I need somebody to, to look and, and determine what's, what's wrong with me, how do I get to the next level? Do you give them any specific coaching advice about what to look for in a good coach? Yeah, I do. Well, we do have 
We are starting to get more coaches up here. I do some instruction because I used to be a tennis instructor many moons ago. So I've been providing instruction for 3035 level, which seems to be the most requested level of instruction everywhere I go, from New England down to Maryland down to mid-Atlantic. It just seems like that's the demographic that really they they need that the instruction on the third shot and doubles management. And then I go down to the villages to get high-level instruction. Mm -hmm. um, it's very difficult to find any, to find high-level instruction up here in Maine. So I feel I have to travel down south, but I might travel up to Mark sometime to get some instruction there. When I get questions, the first thing I do is I try to assess the person's skill level. That's probably key. And then from there, then we can see, oh, are there, are there coaches here locally that can provide the instruction or take it from there? Or do we need to set up clinics? etc. through our ambassadors. Well, that brings us to today's poll. And that question is, what part of your game needs the most work? And here are your choices. The serve, the return, the third shot, volley, or the dink. And you can go ahead and pick one of those. Prem, what about you in terms of skill level? Do you find yourself in, in the clinics that you put on? Is it normally, like Linda said, the 3035 level? Is that the, the majority of the students that you're coaching? In, in clinic setup, most probably that, that statement is very true. In terms of uh, video analysis or private one-on-one -on -one sessions or VIP intensives, there I get to see more higher level players coming in. But in a more a group setup, a lot of people come uh, from that uh, 3.0, range. Makes sense. What about you, Mark? What are you seeing up in the uh, Collingwood, Ontario area? It's been interesting. I've had a lot of people send me emails lately saying, hey, Mark, can you come out to wherever we are? That's something that in 2016 is starting to happen now is when groups are interested in having us come and, and deliver clinics uh, at their home clubs, uh, both in Canada and in the U.S., we're going to be starting to do that. You heard it here first. You're taking the third shot sports show on the road. That's right. That's right. Oh, that's great. Well, we'll look forward to it. Hopefully uh, we can get you, get you down into North Carolina area sometime soon. I'd love to. Sure. I'm sorry, Prem, go right ahead. I was saying welcome to the road show, Mark. I said it's, it's fun. And it's, uh, I've done this for a long time now, so I, I always enjoy knowing fellow uh, fellow coaches getting in there. And yeah, thanks, Prem. The other thing maybe worth mentioning is we've also had a lot of interest in people who are maybe doing a little bit of coaching already, but need some support, need some tools to be able to coach better. And so we've started a website, coachpickleball.com, and what we're starting to do now is starting to train the trainer starting to uh, help people who want to become pickleball instructors, good, effective instructors who can teach great lessons, to start to train those people. So people can visit coachpickleball.com and can see what that's about. Sounds good. And we will link to it in the show notes, as always. We'll put that in there. Let's go ahead and close the poll out now. And the, the uh, question is, what part of your game needs the most work? And if you haven't voted, your last chance to vote, because I'm going to close it out now in three, two, one. 60% say the third shot is what they need the most help with. 20% say volley. 
13% say the dink is what they need, and then 7% say the serve. And uh, 0% say return. We didn't get any returns. That's an amazing statistic, actually. How so? You know, and we've talked about in in past shows, the myth that the serve and the return aren't very important parts of the of the point, right? Mm-hmm. That they're sort of the formalities until you get to the real point, the third shot. This poll seems to kind of reflect that attitude is still out there. Either that or, or your listeners have great serves and great returns. <laughs> or really terrible third shots, and I'll put myself in there. Yeah, well, if you can have a really great return of serve, you're going to make your opponent's third shot much more difficult to hit. It's one of the reasons why the serve and the return is so important, how you start the point, because you can really gain an advantage right from the beginning. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's go, uh, let's get some questions now from the audience. You've got two of the top coaches here in the world, Prem Carnot from PickleballGuru.com, Mark Renison from ThirdShotSports.com, and you've also got District Ambassador and uh, a former tennis coach, I did not realize that linda einsiedler uh queen of the rule book as well and uh, oh we're gonna have a another rule trivia question coming up in just a couple of minutes but let's try going over to andy here andy i'm gonna unmute your microphone uh are you can you hear me i can hear you andy welcome to the pickleball show where are you calling from today i'm a neighbor of mark's i'm in coburg ontario ah coburg (laughs) Well, well i'm working on getting you there mark um, Chris, one of the things uh, I voted on that the third shot was the uh, the tough one to do. Um, and if you have any suggestions, uh, Prem or, or Mark, uh, we play on badminton size courts and we typically don't mark the full size kitchen, which is seven feet versus the six foot six on the badminton court. And that's where I find it difficult to get the third shot in where uh, lanky players standing at the kitchen and they reach in almost to the net. And that six-inch advantage seems to be a disadvantage to me returning that shot. Any suggestions on playing that type of different kitchen size? My suggestion would be to invest in some painter's tape and put down the actual kitchen line. (laughs) (laughs) Those six inches make such a big difference. You know, whether you're you're playing for fun with your group or if you might want to go play a tournament or whatever, it's worth it to practice on a court, on a regulation-sized court. And it doesn't take very long. We do it here um, at our Y where we, you put down some painter's tape, you use it for the duration of your game, take it off the floor, no problem afterwards. I'd say it's worth doing that. Yeah, I totally agree with Mark because you're moving the kitchen closer to the net by six inches. And if you read Prem's book, he teaches that you have to have you have to imagine hitting the third shot um the apex has to be over that kitchen line that's on your side and so if you move that kitchen line closer to the net you're actually training yourself to hit a different drop shot i mean you're putting yourself at a disadvantage because your apex is going to be different you're doing a disservice to your players Let's check back in with Cliff in Bristol, Rhode Island. You had your hand up. Cliff, you have a question here. Welcome back to the Pickleball Show. I got a question for, I I noticed a lot of different colored pickleballs. Sometimes, I I know that there's certain color, the the yellow, but I've noticed orange pickleballs, blue pickleballs, multicolored pickleballs up for sale online. I know USAPA has a, a standard for that. Is anyone... Have any opinions on preferential 
sometimes I, I lose the ball <laughs> depending where I am, you know, up against the wall, whether it's a white pickleball or a yellow. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll have visual problems with that. Well, and that'd be Linda. That's a good, uh, I know this time of year too. And with the new recommend or the new uh, guidelines that USAPA came out with, not only with paddles, but with the balls and they now have an approved list and a lot of the balls that we've talked about last year, they did not make the cut, and some of them are good, I think, what, through May or, or until May the 1st, and then uh, what's the whole status on all of that? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk among in the Ambassador Forum about the different balls. With our Atlantic Regional Tournament that's in June, we're kind of stuck because we don't know what ball to pick, and, and we have to post that on the website in order to get official sanctioning. Mm-hmm. And so we, the balls that we like, their status is pending after May. So people who are running major tournaments after May are really kind of stuck right now. Personally, I love the Onyx Pure Ball. Yeah, and you play mainly outdoors too. Do you, you prefer it indoor and outdoors or mainly outdoors? I used it outdoors last year, and I used it a few times indoors, and I'm really looking at using it as a hybrid, indoor and outdoor. But it is not on the approved list after May the 1st, correct? Correct. Well, we kind of have to wait to see when. It's a question of, with Onyx, it's a question of how quickly they can get their their Onyx seal to be printed on each ball. That's that's the issue with that ball. And I think, Jug, no, Jugs already has the label on it. There's a different issue. And then the question with different colors. I know that the multicolored balls are just not approved. And then, yes, we have all these different colored balls because we all play in conditions that vary. So we're looking for the ball that, that provides enough contrast with the environment that surrounds us especially in outdoor play. So that's why there are so many different colored balls. I've even gone to a venue in Maryland where they had a black ball because they had so, there was so much light in that facility. It was, it's very interesting. And then each ball color plays differently because the, co- the pigment is a chemical and then it affects, you know, the chemical base affects the bounce of the ball. So it's the whole ball science is very interesting. Do you have to get reapproval for every color? Uh, say if uh, when you come out with a ball and you, you get the USAPA to, to approve this one, but then you come out in a different color, you have to go through the whole process again? Well, I, I'm not sure what that process is. I just know that each color plays differently. So I want to know not only what type of ball, but what color ball mm-hmm. to practice on for these tournaments. A lot of tournaments are waiting for the Wilson, what is it called? It's like a neon ball or something like that. Uh, they're waiting for that ball to be released. Wilson Neon Flare. I'd written a little note here. Uh, some some people are waiting for that to come out and uh, before they make a final decision. Have you played with that ball? Or did you guys, I know that they had a, a demo set up at Nationals. Uh, Mark and Prame, did you run across that Wilson Neon Flare ball when you were out there? Um, I haven't run across it at Nationals, but what I know is that Wilson is the official ball at the U.S. Open, which is at the end of April in Naples. So there's going to be a lot of players who are trying to get their hands on that ball in advance in order to prepare. Mm-hmm. So, I've seen pictures um, of it, and it looked kind of like a Dura ball, but I may be, the picture may be misleading. I did play with it uh, at Nationals and practice with it, and, uh, and I actually have a few of them which were given to me. How does it compare to a Dura 40? 
it plays pretty much the same like at Euro 40. Um, nothing is much different in the play style. The ball reacts pretty similar to a fast Euro 40. Okay. So there's not much of a difference. The color is a little bit more yellowish, more uh, neonish. I like it. I personally like it. So if you're already playing with a Dura 40, you probably there's not going to be a very steep uh, adjustment or learning curve if uh, when you if you're heading down to the uh, U.S. Open and you're going to play with that uh, Wilson neon flare. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Good question, Cliff. I appreciate you bringing that up. And uh, Jean, did we get you back on the line here? I'm here. Jean, what's your question today? Um, Just this past week, I hit a volley from near the back of the court, which inadvertently brushed by my partner's head, fluffing her hair a bit. I want to know if that would be considered a fault. (laughs) The ball did go into the opponent's court, but the, uh, the play was stopped because they wanted to know if it was a fault. Interesting. Okay, so you hit the ball. The, your your uh, partner was maybe a little bit in front of you, and it brushed by, and it just it just uh, brushed by her hair, and then kept going, yeah. and then landed in the opponent's court. It's a fault. Yeah, because if if, if it touches any like uh, somebody's shirt sleeve, I had one touch somebody's shirt sleeve one time, and uh, and we you know we called that a fault. But maybe Jean hit the ball so fast that it didn't actually touch her partner's hair. It just created enough wind to fluff the hair. <laughs> <laughs> it did hit. Oh, okay. Then you lose the point. Yep. There were clumps of hair in the in the holes of the ball because Jean hits the ball so hard. Jean, thank you for the question. Let's go to a write-in question now from John in Gaffney, South Carolina. He writes in the chat box, Two of my friends in my lo- local club have been injured running down lobs. Is there a safe and effective way to handle a lob? I, um, I've been seeing... Um We've had players who have fallen and sustained wrist fractures from running back improperly to take a lob. They backpedal instead of doing the turn, drop step, and then then go back. So, again, goes back to safety, safe instruction. Teach them how to go back properly instead of just backpedaling while they're still facing the net. They have, they must turn sideways by drop stepping then they can like move laterally facing the side to go back to the lob yeah linda that's a really good point i would say um not only is backpedaling ineffective right it's very slow it also as you mentioned really dangerous and so this is one of the things that's really important we actually have um, a video on moving to retrieve lobs coming out very soon so people will be able to to check those out because um, it is critical that you can uh, at a minimum, get sideways to sort of shuffle back instead of backpedaling. Uh, when you yep. watch the best players, they they actually run these crossover steps and run. But uh, you're right, that's a really important one. When that happens, when you and your partner kind of get one in front of the other and one behind, the person in front is the one who really has the right of way, right? The one behind can see what the one in front is doing. So the person in front, you know, whether you're trying to figure out, should I move to the left side of the court or the right side of the court, that person should just move and then the person in behind then needs to respond because the person who's in front, who's closest to the net, they can't see the opponent, the partner behind them. So that person in front should really sort of take a, a leadership role and move either to the left or right or whatever, and the person behind needs to respond to their moving. I like that. You also add, like, player communication, a um, yelling switch so that the person in front can hear. The person behind would yell switch or stay 
so that the person in front knows where that person in back is. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, as I had mentioned in an in a earlier episode, uh, I always recommend uh, the lob- when someone's lobbing over you, your partner takes over, and then you, you switch sides. Yeah. And then make sure to obviously come back after the point is over. And it's always the best option. And as Linda mentioned, I am not, I hardly and never recommend anyone backpedaling. I've seen so many people get injured by that way, and I've always clearly do not recommend, you know, backpedaling on, on a lob. If the lob is behind you, over you, let your partner take it. Gotcha. If for whatever reason they are not mobile and you're not mobile, if that is the case, I said it's okay and let it go. You know, I would rather have you be healthy than get yourself injured and be out of commission for six months. And Cliff will be able to tell you how that is when you're out of commission and you still want to play uh, <laughs> the game. Um, yep. So I would really recommend uh, people to, to work on that part. And then there's a wonderful article I wrote about it, and I'm sure uh, what Mark will bring out in the video will explain even more on when someone lobs you, a good lob is over you, you may, may make sure that your, your partner takes it and then you switch around. When Prem um, talks about lobbing over you, I just want to make sure that the listeners realize, I don't think you're talking about any t- type of lob, right? Because the default should be that when someone hits a ball high, the default should be that you want to smash it. This is a great opportunity yeah. to win the point because you get to hit downwards, which means you can hit hard. So we want to be able to smash that ball. So I don't think what we're talking about is, hey, as soon as you see a ball go high towards you, automatically give up and let your partner take it. What we're talking about is when when the lob beats you, when the ball is too deep that you're not going to be able to smash it, that's when you give it over to your partner. Is that what you what you mean, Fred? Yes. Let me even precise. There are two types of lobs I often talk about. One is an offensive lob and one is a defensive lob. And the offensive lob is when both your opponents are at the kitchen line. And say, for example, uh, I mean, you are both on the kitchen, all four of you are at the kitchen line, and you're compressed. What I mean compressed is when you all four of you are low to the ground, dinking, and when you have the rally going for about a few number of points, your, both your opponents are actually low. At that point, when someone lobs over you, that means you're pretty much, it's impractical for someone to get up and then move back to get that ball. But at that point, the person who's actually beside you has a better wall, and that means that ball is over you, to explain what Mark said, that means then the person goes for that ball to get for that one. Obviously, if it is on your wheelhouse and you can hit it, obviously go for it. I mean, that's not the lob I'm talking about. I'm talking about the lob which is clearly over you. Does that make sense, Mark? Yeah, totally. I I, I was pretty sure that was what you were talking about. Um, So we talked about earlier in this show how at the highest levels, the lob is sort of out of play, right? You don't see the lobs in the 5.0 level. And that's not because, you know, lobbing is somehow a bad shot or whatever. But what happens is at that at those top levels, the players are so quick that even if you play a very, very good lob, nine times out of ten, not only are they going to get the ball back, but they're going to be able to smash the ball with speed. So this is why you Absolutely. see at those, higher, at those higher levels, players typically avoiding the lob because it's really setting up your opponents for a winning shot. At lower levels, or when we play with people who maybe aren't so mobile, the lob becomes a more effective play, either as a defensive mechanism right, or as an offensive with the one the way you're describing. But, um, you know, I encourage people uh, who play is when you see that high ball coming, don't automatically give up on it, right? You're, make it so that your default setting is, I want that ball, I want to smash it. And when you assess that, no, I'm not going to be able to, the lob is too deep, uh, it's too good a shot, 
that's when you do plan B, which is switch with your partner and, and play a defensive shot. We're talking with Prem Carnot, the pickleball guru, and Mark Renison from Third Shot Sports, Linda Einsiedler as well, and let's go ahead and launch a quiz poll here. We're going to take a quick quiz, and this question is a true or false. Here's the statement. A player does not need to have possession of the paddle when it makes contact with the ball. What do you think about that? True or false? What if somebody tried to lob over my head? And what if I was able to maybe toss my paddle up in the air and knock that ball down back over the net? That'd be a pretty cool shot, wouldn't it? I bet that would go go viral on YouTube pretty quick. Or what if somebody <laughs> what if somebody hit something real low and I was able to scoop my paddle over across the floor and pop that ball and bounce it up? That'd be another uh, miraculous shot there. What do you think, true or false? A player does not need to have possession of the paddle when it makes contact with the ball. And uh, we're going to close this poll out because you guys are all too smart here. They've all been reading Smart Pickleball and they've been all watching Mark's videos and everything. And they can't be fooled because they know that that is 100% false. A player does need to have possession of the paddle when it makes contact with the ball. And that, of course, Linda, is rule 12N, which I know you knew without even having to look up in the book. Yep. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Anybody else with a question for Mark Renison, Prem Carnot, or Linda Einsiedler, raise your hand right now. There is somebody that typed in a question on the chat box here. It says, backspin ball that hit on my side of the court and bounced back onto my opponent's court, uh, my opponent's kitchen without me hitting it. Whose point is it? And I think that we can all say, that is a great shot, and that is totally their point. If it bounces back over to their side of the court without you touching the ball, they get the point. Right, guys? Correct. Yep. There you uh, go. This is, one yes. time, this is one time. It doesn't happen very often, but as Linda can confirm, this is the one time you're allowed to reach over the net to hit the ball. And what you see the very best players do is as that ball bounced uh, Chris, you just hit the ball over to my side. It's now spinning, bouncing back onto yours. Mm -hmm. If I can not only reach over the net, but I can reach over the net and hit it into the net on your side of the court, then I can win the point. So um, that's, that's the best way to respond when someone does that to you is to reach over the net and hit the ball into their side of the net, and uh, you'll win the point. And so if you're refereeing that match, you have to watch to make sure that nothing touches the net from that player that's Absolutely. hitting the ball. And the one important point to that one uh, is uh, sometimes if even your foot, I mean your shoe, crosses that line on the, under the net, it's a fault. Yeah. Okay, so even if your shoe is underneath the net, then that is a fault. You're now on their court. Absolutely. Okay. So you can cross and you don't even touch the net. Nothing touches the net and you're hitting the ball like Mark said. That's totally fine, but your foot... I mean, your shoe has to be completely on your side of the court, even because especially in, in pickleball, the net is, you know, not completely closed in, so people can slide their feet uh, underneath it. So if that foot goes underneath it and crosses the plane, then that means it's a fault. We'll definitely keep that in mind. That's one of those ones you'll file away and uh, probably won't, won't come up very often, but when it does, you'll be able to whip it out and have the answer right at your fingertips. Thank you again, everybody, to, uh, that joined today, uh, not only on the panel, but uh, in the audience as well. And thank you for all the great questions. Prem Carnot, at 
pickleballguru.com. And also, Prame has the self-assessment where you can do, you can rate yourself and then get some uh, goals and drills and things to work on to uh, to take your, your game to the next level and improve that rating. And you can go to ratingsandgoals.com. That's plural, ratingsandgoals.com. And uh, take that self-assessment. And uh, a lot of people are getting a lot of good benefit from that, Prame. So nice job on designing that site. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. Mark Renison over at Third Shot Sports. Mark has new videos coming out all the time. He's got a newsletter, which is must-reading. Mark's site is thirdshotsports.com. Thank you, Mark, for joining us today. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks, everyone. And Linda Einsiedler, as always, great to have you here and always enjoy just the, the good advice that you give. You're welcome and hope to see you come up to Maine sometime, maybe to the Atlantic Regionals Tournament in June. My wife would love it. She's constantly craving a lobster roll and some clam cakes. So what are your thoughts about what we discussed today? We'd love to hear from you. Email us anytime. Mail at pickleballshow.com. That's mail at pickleballshow.com. That's where you can find us on the internet too, pickleballshow.com. We're on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash pickleballshow, uh, twitter.com slash, wait for it, Pickleball Show. <laughs> we make it easy for you. And we'd love to hear from you anytime on any of those places. Also, head over to iTunes if you get a chance. Hit the subscribe button, which means you'll never miss an episode. Plus, if you feel it's appropriate, leave us a five-star review, which helps boost us up in the rankings, makes it a lot easier for other pickleball players to find this show. I'm Chris Allen. This is the Pickleball Show. And until next week, keep them low. The Pickleball Show is brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news, and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free.